Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. In this week's episode, entitled Glacier, I head out to Las Vegas, Nevada to work on my new public art project at McCarran Airport. But as I work, the distant mountains out the window across the desert call to me even more than the Las Vegas Strip, and I promise myself to climb a glacier. How hard can that be? Glacier Flying into Vegas on a crystal-clear moonless night is spectacular. As the plane bangs hard to make its final approach, the whole city spreads out before me. The grid of different colored neon and spotlights looks exceptionally crisp and vivid in the clear desert air. And all the brightly lit buildings make the city look like the giant amusement park that it is, extending out into the jet black of the surrounding uninhabited flatlands. I land and head toward the Rio Hotel and Casino, where I'll be staying. This is my first visit to Las Vegas, and I've flown in to attend the kickoff meeting for a public art project that I've been selected to create at the new Terminal D of the McCarran Airport. My work, entitled Flight Paths, will create a terrazzo design in the floors of the circular mezzanine above the atrium and continue in the area below where the trains connect to other terminals. It will also include a series of small cast aluminum jetliners coming down the metal strips between the escalators as if they're landing on a flight map. The overall design will replicate the flight map of Las Vegas in different color terrazzo and zinc lines with over 2,600 different elements in this circular space. Most airport flight maps are simply a series of uninterrupted concentric circles with the flight tower at the center. The Las Vegas flight map is different because there are so many restricted areas and no-fly zones around this part of Nevada, top-secret facilities, former atomic test sites, and classified Air Force bases, the standard concentric circles are broken up and interrupted, which makes for an interestingly angular and dynamic design. I will finish my day of meetings, then return to New York City to begin preparations to create the work. It will be over a year before I'm back to install the project. Returned to Las Vegas after 13 months to complete the final installation of Flight Paths. After spending a longer time here, I realize that almost nothing is real. Tap on any Corinthian column or marble wall, and it echoes with the hollow sound of a faux paint job on plaster or plastic. The whole town is a big collection of smoke and mirrors, cigarette smoke and tacky gilded mirrors. As I work away on my terrazzo art installation on the mezzanine of Terminal D, I can look out through an 80-foot-tall, expansive glass wall across the runways and desert 
and see some distant mountains shimmering in the heat. At the top of the tallest one is a glacier, fingering its way down the crevasse from the peak. Every time I gaze in that direction, I promise myself that one of my Sundays off, I'll rent a car, drive across the desert, and up the mountain, and climb the glacier to its summit. I know nothing about glaciers or mountain climbing. Why does the mountaineer climb the mountain? Because it's there, was the famous quote attributed to British climber George Mallory, who in 1924, on his third attempt to climb Mount Everest, perished along with his partner. I have the same strong desire to climb this mountain I can see across the desert, and tomorrow, Sunday, is the day I'm going to go for it. The plan is to get an early start, since I have really no idea how far or long my adventure will take me. It's a pure joy to leave the relentless din of the slots in the Rio's windowless lobby and get into my rental car in the garage below and leave town. Once I'm out of the street grid of the city, I'm on a state highway that's straight as an arrow pointing across the desert toward the mountains. Distant objects are already shimmering in the early morning heat. The occasional approaching car seems to loom above the wavering heat rising from the black macadam paving. I'm surprised at how much I've misjudged the distance to the mountains. After driving for half an hour, the road is still only just starting to climb into the arid foothills. A few more miles brings me to a scattering of ranch houses plopped at the base of a pine forest that ascends steeply toward the peaks. I have lost sight of my goal as my car climbs through the pines on one dirt road after another. My choice at every fork is determined by which road ascends more steeply. Rolling down my window, the sweet smell of pines fills my car. I'm still not sure how to get where I want to go. A map would have been nice. As the engine strains against the steepness of the climb, I find myself getting a little lightheaded from the altitude. It isn't long before the trees are getting shorter and there are patches of sunlight in the stunted forest. Every so often I catch a glimpse of the glacier through the trees above me. Finally, as I pass through the last patches of scrub, there, between two vertical rocky ridges, angling down the mountain, is the long, snowy chute that I am seeking. It is so bright that I have to squint, which reminds me that I also should have brought some sunglasses. The snowfield is steep. I have to climb in a herringbone pattern that skiers use going uphill and firmly plant the inside edge of each boot to keep from sliding backwards. I think to myself that at least I had the good sense to wear my construction boots from the job site. It's slow going, and after climbing for about a quarter of a mile, I decide it might be easier to cross over and walk up the stone ridge line. As I approach the granite, there's a gap where the heat of the stone has melted away the snow and ice. What I'm unaware of is that during the cold, windy nights, surface snow has blown across the glacier and formed a skin of ice over a much wider gap. When I'm just a couple feet away from the stone, this thin, icy shell breaks under my feet and I fall straight down a 30-foot deep crevasse between the ice on one side and the rock face on the other. Somehow as I plummet, I don't hit my head, but smash up my right shoulder and cut up my knees and shins. My fall is broken where the two vertical walls come together and my feet are deeply wedged between them by the force of my descent. In a panic, I bloody my fingers in a failed attempt to climb upwards. I'm also, 
in an extreme pain when I moved my right shoulder. Completely panic-stricken, bloodied, winded and afraid, I realize that I have to get a grip on myself. After a while, my breathing starts to normalize and I begin to take stock. Either my water bottle nor my small knapsack with the sandwich inside have made it down with me. I'm incredibly thirsty, but obviously water won't be a problem, so I take my first crunchy mouthful of bitter, icy snow. I am so fucked, I call out, and my words echo along the crevasse. How cold will it be tonight? What if the glacier shifts, or there's an ice slide? And worst of all, not a single soul on earth knows where I am. No one. I berate myself for my total lack of preparation and my stupidity to enter terrain that I know nothing about. I try to put my back against the stone and my palms flat against the ice, but there's shooting pain up my shoulder so intense I can't unwedge my boots. I can see maybe 20 feet in either direction, and then the walls make a gradual turn. I must have dozed off because I wake up shivering and my blood sugar has dropped, so my situation appears all the more hopeless. I shift from berating myself for my lack of preparation to thinking about the people I will leave behind, envisioning my sisters and my friends' reactions when I'm finally found. I start to weep for the first time, and then I start to pray. Me, the lifelong atheist, and I'm pleading with God for his help. Then I must have dozed off again. When I'm startled awake, it's probably late afternoon, and I hear someone from around the bend in the crevasse that sounds like they're trying to climb out too. I call out, Hello? Is anybody there? Hello, please help me. But there's just silence. An hour later, the same thing. Someone's struggling, but when I call out, they cease again. Please talk to me. Are you okay? Did you fall in too? Nothing. Then, seemingly from nowhere, my small knapsack pack drops from above and catches on the rocks near me. It takes a lot of twisting, but I retrieve it. I can't seriously entertain the thought that my prayers have been answered, but I do mull it over while I gratefully eat my sandwich. My feet are still wedged tight. Only with the spike in energy that the food has given me and the desire to see who's around the bend do I muster the strength to pull my feet up in spite of the searing pain in my shoulder and shinning my way around the bend, where there's a female deer also bleeding and so terrified at seeing me that she flails away from me and manages to climb up a ways before disappearing around the bend. I follow her and the path upward is treacherous but climbable. Within a few minutes, I pass through the hole in the ice shell that the deer has made and I'm out, just like that. I can't believe it. While the deer is hightailing it up and across the glacier, I'm overwhelmed with so many different emotions all at once. Joy, relief, sorrow, but most of all, thankfulness. Just as I arrive at my car, another car pulls up, which seems surreal after what I've just been through. One of the occupants, seeing my condition, asks, Are you okay? And I respond, Yeah, I'm fine. But if you walk out on the glacier, be careful. And then I explain why. The same guy then corrects me and says, This isn't a glacier. It's just the last of the winter's snow that hasn't melted off yet. There are no above-ground glaciers in Nevada. Good to know, I respond ironically, 
and get into my car, stiff and bloodied, my shoulder throbbing with pain. As I drive down the mountain, both smiling and crying at the same time, I have to acknowledge that my ignorance today was boundless. And then I learn that I'm not even climbing a glacier. Again, I take stock. One of the traits that's made me successful as an artist is my spontaneity and lack of fear at entering situations where I will most likely fail. For every public art commission announced, hundreds of artists apply and only one is selected. At the same time, I can't seem to stop charging headlong into situations that I don't know anything about, where I don't know the terrain, either physical or psychological. This may someday cost me my life. Maybe I should have a tattoo that reads, Never miss an opportunity to stop and think. And maybe the best place for it is across my forehead, printed in reverse. The Compulsive Storyteller is written by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you would leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening. And if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story.